Hi, and welcome to the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. I'm one of your hosts, and you can find me on Twitter at Major underscore Mid. I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Greg Steeman. Bunch of creative people we have here. Very, very. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So I think what we'll do to start today is just talk about the, the Summit Coaches poll came out, the preseason poll. Um, and so I thought we would name off who the coaches thought were one through nine and then just give our thoughts on on where we thought everybody belonged. Um, so starting with in the top spot, which really isn't probably a surprise to anyone, is South Dakota State. Two is Oral Roberts. Three, North Dakota State. Four, Omaha. Five was South Dakota. Six was North Dakota. Seven, Kansas City, eight, Denver, and nine, Western Illinois. So just with a start with those nine teams, do either of you have some thoughts on who's a little too high, who's a little too low, or who's right where they should be? Greg, why don't you go first? Well, thanks, Zach. Um, you know, obviously, as, as you mentioned, Todd, South Dakota State on paper without question is the prohibitive favorite. And I think that came out in the poll. Um, just with the returners they have and, and uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the guys they, uh, with the success they experienced last season, it's really hard to argue. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the rest of them, there's so many unknowns. Um, it's understandable with ORU at two, with the talent that they have. And uh, at the same time, it's also understandable with North Dakota State at three, with the success that they've had and also a core of guys coming back that uh, know what it takes to, to compete in the league and compete at the top level. Uh, after that, it's really difficult just because of the turnover that we've seen, um, the, the uncertainness of so many different things, Omaha having to replace two high-powered guards, USD having to replace you know, a, a, a wealth of talent and a wealth of experience, and at the same time, they have Amude coming back. It's, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Coach Jeter is ecstatic that his team was picked at number nine with with so many unknowns and basically a complete turnover of the roster. Uh, I found it hard to argue uh, with, with the way that the, the, the preseason poll came out and everybody knows that the preseason poll is, is worth nothing more than the paper it's written on. But uh, you know, from that standpoint, um, I, I don't think there was really um, anything, any team that was overrated. And at the same time with all the unknowns, it's, it's hard to argue that there were any teams underrated either. Yeah, so I think for me, the only two teams I'd flipped around was NDSU and Oral Roberts, and that was just kind of more of a hat tip to what we know to be true about NDSU and, and kind of how they've played down the stretch of these last couple of years, and of Oral Roberts too, I guess. It can go both ways for them. Uh, so those are the only two that have flipped around. And then what I kind of did is I, I looked at this as three distinct tiers, in my opinion, at this point. Tier one is South Dakota State. North Dakota State and Oral Roberts. I think they're definitely kind of in a class of their own for right now. And then tier two is Omaha, South Dakota, UND, and UMKC. I think they're all um, decent teams. Uh, I think they could potentially beat anybody on any given night, but there's still a lot of unknowns there. And then tier three, I have Denver and Western. Um, I could easily see a team like Western sneaking into that second tier, but you know, until we see them play a little bit, 
yeah, it's, it's probably more just about the fact that they're like literally completely unknown. Um, I, I follow recruiting pretty closely and I, you know, several of these Western guys are pretty highly regarded. So I'd, I'd have to, I say I've had uh, high expectations for them, but you know, you just, just until you see it on the court, new coach, a lot going on there, no preseason, that type of thing. Um, it could be just sort of a, a gimme year for them altogether, but um, that's kind of how I have it broken down. Uh, Greg, you actually voted in this, right? I did. Yeah, yeah I did. Okay. And, and, uh, and it was the, the, the way that the poll came out was very similar to what I had. I believe I mm-hmm. might have had, as you mentioned, NDSU at two and ORU at three. Uh, but at the same time, it was it was very it, it's such a it's an interesting year for a lot of different reasons. But I agree with a lot of what you say, Zach. Uh, there are some tears when you look at North Dakota State and the way that Dave Richmond has consistently built his team for success in the postseason. I don't think there's any question he'll do it again. Oral Roberts has always been that team that loaded with talent and at the same time still has yet to prove that they can do it uh, in the Summit League tournament. So I'm always curious about like whenever we see rankings, whether it's all conference players or preseason polls, things like that. I think the the context matters. So like, what are we? So like, tell us a little bit about why you rank the teams where they're at. Was it sort of based off of what they've done last year, or is this sort? Are we trying to like predict where we think they're going to end up this year, or is it sort of a little bit of a both? Or I'm always kind of curious about that. That's a great question, Zach. And, and the way I look at it is, is um, in, in a lot of ways, similar to what you mentioned with, with Dave Richmond, the way he continues to build his team and continues to kind of fill in with, with what he thinks his team needs and then, and then build that around his returning talent. And at the same time, I look at a guy, guys like Darren Hansen, Paul Sather, who have systems, who have the ways they play, and they, they lose, they lost some, some impactful talent but you look at it and go, are they still at the same time bringing in guys that they can count on and that really fit their system? Uh, my, my, my unknowns and, and, and my, you know, my personal thoughts on certain teams, when I looked at a Western Illinois, that's just an absolute unknown. Coach Sheeter, as you mentioned, brought in some three-star recruits, which is uncommon in the Summit League. I think there's multiple three-star recruits, Todd, and you referred to that. And then... So, so the potential from a talent standpoint is certainly there. Denver, well, um, I'll tell you what, you know, that they've done a heck of a job out there. I think he's highly regarded as a person and as a coach, but he just he, he took that year, took some transfers. I think it set him back in the locker room a little bit. And at the same time, I believe that he's got some returning talent. Um, they've just got to find a way to turn the corner. There's just uh, they've got to find a way to prove it uh, during the regular season. But outside of, of that, Kansas City brings a, a ton of unknowns just because they had a, t- a lot of turnover on their roster. But at the same time, had some success, 16-win team last year. Uh, there's just You just don't know how they're going to fit into the Summit League. So that was kind of the way I looked at it. What did they lose? And at the same time, what's the style they're trying to play and what's the culture they're trying to build? Um, it is, it's, it, but it's, it's tough. Sometimes it's really easy, or I shouldn't say it, it's it's presumably easy to look at it and rank them but outside of sdsu at number one this year i think you know two through nine uh they're just it was really difficult to to nail down and say well i know where they're going to finish so that's the way i looked at it zach (laughs) and especially given the format this year 
that just adds another layer of variability and unknown. You know, really I, it's it's yeah. so hard to know how these teams are going to respond. You know, as I was kind of going through these, you know, I, I tended to, to think about, okay, which teams have the best culture? Um, which, what are the deepest teams? Because I think mm-hmm. depth's definitely going to play a bigger role this year than it has in the past. Um, there's been, in years past, there's been teams that have been, been able to get away with playing six or seven guys. And I'm not 100% sure that you can do that on back-to-back nights effectively. So, I don't know. Certainly a lot of different ways to look at this. It's, you know, I don't think anybody's necessarily right or wrong, but there, there is definitely a reason for a lot of different opinions on this. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and do you guys know, have they made any announcements about fans or anything like that? I, it's probably too early, but I have not seen anything. I think we would see some if there, if there had been announcements, but I, I, I agree, Todd, that's a great question to ask because as Zach was alluding to with the format this year, teams having to go to their opponent and, and play back-to-back games on the on the other team's floor, that can be really difficult if there's 3,000 screaming fans in there. If there's maybe two or 300 or maybe a max of 500, all of a sudden that, quote, home court advantage is not nearly what it could be in a, in a packed Frost Arena, in a packed, you know, uh, shack at, at North Dakota State. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting, and a lot of it comes down to the, the type of players you recruit and, and how you can get them um, mentally, not only physically, but mentally ready to play on an opponent's home floor, especially when there might be a, a minuscule number of fans in the stands. Yeah, my best guess is they're preparing for no fans, or at least just like family members because yeah. mm-hmm. to me that would be you know it, one in line with sort of what the cdc is saying right now but two it would also help lo- level the playing field for you know uh because not every night we're not getting home and homes here you know what mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. so it, it would kind of level, level the playing field for ndsu having to go up to und and play them twice and und not having to play at ndsu if there's no fans there it's not that big of a deal if there's fans there all of a sudden it means something. So my guess is there, it really seems like they're setting the table for no fans and uh, a lot of coverage this year on TV. Yeah, that seems to make the most sense. I think they did the scheduling that way, thinking that would be the way that the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, and, and Todd, by the way, you have to tell Zach that he can't bring um, CDC regulations and things like that into this podcast because all of a sudden I become really dumb and I can't, I can't, um, you know, operate effectively when he's bringing that the stuff that's way over my head. <laughs> well, that's that, 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 that could turn this podcast in from about 45 minutes to about five hours. And I don't think anybody wants it. Nobody we're, we're, we're talking about this cause we're trying to avoid that type of conversation. So I have no problem leaving that stuff out of this conversation. <laughs> Greg, I know tons of people on Facebook and Twitter that are experts. Oh, um, they are, so, aren't they? Yeah. Yep, we've got a lot of yeah. MDs out there without question. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and Zach, you brought up the the brackets and I had the exact same thing written on my sheet. The only difference is I put South Dakota state in their own bracket mm-hmm. and, and then, a, and then two through three, four through seven, I picked Omaha sixth, but then as I was writing it, wanted to change them to fourth, but was too lazy to erase and change them to fourth. And so it, but really it, the fourth through seven, if they finished in a complete opposite order or just mixed up, I wouldn't be shocked at all. But I do think those tiers, as best guess, and now that's without yeah. 
five players getting COVID and, and losing four games. But well, I think, you know, to me, Omaha being fourth, um, what bumped them to the top of that tier for me is just sort of Darren Hansen, really, and the type of program that he runs and the culture that he has, because you could make an argument against Omaha and the fact that they lost a lot, particularly in the backcourt, and they're a very ball-dominant type of offense. So, I mean, you could definitely make the argument against them. I, I just thought in a year that, you know, there's all these variables, all this stuff, you know, culture matters. And I think Omaha has pretty good culture, pretty good leadership, uh, with Matt Pyle and Ao Akinwale. So I, I, uh, just kind of gave them, uh, the, the fourth spot, but you know, certainly the argument could be made against them too. So. Yeah. And I wanted to get cute with a team like Western and put, pick them sixth mm-hmm. their seventh, but the, Greg made the point of, everything being so different this year with the entire roster, except for Anthony mm-hmm. Jones turning over, I, mm-hmm. that's got to go against you, even if it's a talented team. Well, and likely no non-conference games, no preseason, you know, it's just, they're coming into the situation cold. They're going to be talented. My um, guess is for periods of time, they're going to look very good. Um, but it's just, it's hard to know. It's hard to give them a nod. I mean, if, if they win some games and end up in the middle here, that's not going to, I don't think surprise anybody, but all things being equal, it's hard to give them the nod at this point. So. Well, and they are still waiting for the UAB transfer Pearson to mm-hmm. be granted a waiver. So that's yeah. a big piece as well. Boy, if you want to send me on a rant, does anybody know like why people are getting waivers denied at this point? I have no idea. Has, has anybody heard of a reason? Like I well, the NCAA employs a lot of people, and a lot of those people have to justify their jobs. So it's easy yeah. for them to shuffle paper and yeah. and say, "Well, just wait a second. We got to look at it." Uh, I uh, I'm in. I, I say that tongue in cheek, but at the same time, there's a shred of truth to it. I there's a part of me that says, "Good, good Lord, allow everybody to be eligible. This is a unique year, and with the with the." the ability to transfer without having to sit out coming next year, just let everybody play for goodness well, sakes, because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. Well, especially this year when you're not, nobody's losing a year of eligibility anyway, you know, mm-hmm. all, we're, all we're doing, like, I think everybody's on the same page that this year we're just taking what we can get. And we're trying to get as many games in, um, trying to get as many players playing time because none of it really matters anyway, in, in terms of eligibility wise. So, um, and especially in a situation like Western, you know, I mean, um, but there again, you know, for, I, I think there was like all but like one or two waivers approved for some. And I, I feel bad for those one or two guys. I mean, they must have really, I don't know, yeah. for, for, forgot to put the name on the on the transfer request or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's um, a, that's about it. You got to really yeah. look for a reason not to approve somebody to be eligible yeah. this season. Yeah. 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 Especially with everybody getting a free year. It makes yeah. no sense. By the way, I want to go back. It was a great segue, Todd. Um, uh, people have to be really excited because you've got an interview set up with with Coach Jeter, and that's going to be on the next podcast. I think uh, I know Zach and myself are, are really looking forward to that. Uh, the new coach, uh, a complete roster turnover, and a lot of guys coming in. Uh, we're really looking forward to, the, to listening to that interview and being able to make some comments on it. Yeah, I'm super excited as well and can't say enough for western illinois and their ability to make that happen with just a few emails for a podcast that has happened once so far Uh, what a blessing so just great on their end as well 
All right. Um, well, let's move on to the first team, all Summit League. And I'll name off the players that are on the list and just we'll then talk a little bit about who's on there, who makes sense, who maybe doesn't, and then go from there. Um, you've got South Dakota State's Noah Friedel, Oral Roberts, Kevin O'Banner, Omaha's Matt Pyle, South Dakota's Stanley Amude, and South Dakota State's Douglas Wilson. So two South Dakota State players, which isn't surprising for the team predicted first. And what is interesting to me as a fan who maybe doesn't pay as much of attention to who gets picked and who doesn't is sometimes as fans, we like to pick just based on the statistics a person brings up. But as you look at the first and then even the second team, as we move on to them, there's more, it, there seems to be more of an emphasis on the team and how the team will do. So a person like Matt Pyle, who maybe doesn't put up 19 points a game makes the first team with Omaha predicted to finish fourth in the conference. Yeah, so with regards to Matt Pyle, I really like the fact that he's on the first team. I think that's good because how many times do you see it where the defensive player of the year, in this case reigning defensive player of the year, doesn't make the first team all-conference? It's like, well, okay, so what are you saying about defense then, right? It's important. A lot of what he does doesn't always end up in the statute, even though he's just about a double-double a game. Um, and, and so I think that's really interesting. I know, like, looking at these teams, Greg, were there – at the postseason awards last year, were there six players on the first team and six on the second? I thought I remember something like that. Well, no, or was that not? They typically put six on the first, and and the yeah. and the leading vote getter is the is the either the player of the year or in this case the preseason player of the year. Then they'll do five mm-hmm. on the second, and so that's kind of how they do it. And uh, it's uh, understandable this year. Douglas Wilson, who was the player of the year last year in the league, even though he he, he missed you know, the end of the season with that ankle injury just shows the impact and, and the high opinion, the high regard that he's held in by the, um, by the, not only the media, but the coaches. And so I think that speaks highly of him. So that's typically how they do it. Zach is six on the first, the leading vote getter is the player of the year or preseason player of the year. And then the second team is just the normal five, but right. you know, going back to what you mentioned about Matt Pyle, I couldn't agree more when you really think about it um, are his, you know, the fact that he averages a double-double is amazing. The second thing is, if you go down and ask every single coach in the league, would you love to have Matt, have Matt Pyle on your team? It would be unanimous. So mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. question uh, he's very deserving of that first team honor. I think it always, like when I look at these teams, so the first thing that jumped out to me is essentially four forwards and one guard. Right. And, I, and I'm kind of like, man, you know, I don't know, I don't, like to me, I, I, that that almost kind of bothers me a little bit because are we actually trying to say like this is a team? You know, I, I think the one thing that does say is like last year, everybody had a really good point guard. Everybody, everybody, even Western had a really good point guard. This year, it's like everybody has a really good post. So last year is the year of the point guard. This year is the year of the of the post player, or I, we should call it forwards now, right? I mean, even the post players step out a little bit from time to time. Um, so what I did is I on my first team. You know, Douglas Wilson, Stanley Mude, Noah Friedel, Matt Pyle, no doubt about it. Um, I actually swapped Jace Townsend for Kevin O'Banner. Uh, so I have Jace Townsend on the first team and then Kevin O'Banner on the second team for a couple different reasons. One, to make it actually like a team, right? So we have two guards on the first team. That's part of it. Um, the second thing is Kevin O'Banner. He, I don't, it, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he made any postseason all-conference teams last year. 
I mean, he really, he, I, I don't, I don't want to say struggled, but was just extremely inconsistent to the point where he didn't make any all conference teams last year. And so I kind of view the preseason team as sort of a recognition of what, what they were able to do up to this point. That's how I kind of view it. I know some people could use this as a predictor as to what we think we're going to see at the end of the year, but I think that's what the postseason all-conference team is for, in my opinion. I could be, I know, I could be totally wrong on that, but um, so having Jace Townsend on the first team, I think, because he's going to have, I mean, his volume and usage is going to be like off the charts this year, um, in addition to being a good player. So, I mean, he could easily, you know, um, average. 18 to 20 points this year easily i, I think um it just because uh the, the the vacation of all the the stats and usage of ade murky and uh just knowing how they play i mean the ball is going to be in his hands he's going to be making all the decisions his his assists are going to be or his stats are going to be off the charts it's just a question of i think the only thing that may get that you can hold against him is can denver get up out of that eighth or ninth spot um and then on the second team the second team, this really got hard here. This really got hard to limit it to five. Um, so I, I had Kevin O'Banner on there on the second team then. Uh, Max Asmus, um, I think he's going to be solidly on the second team. He's going to be another guy that has a lot of usage, surrounded by a lot of really good players. He's, his stats are going to be there, and he's going to have the wins. Uh, Matt Detlinger, you know what you're going to get out of him. He's going to be probably solidly on that second team would be my guess. And then you have guys like Rocky Cruiser and Philip Abracha. Um, you can make a case either way. Really like both of those players. Both of them are really good players. And then uh, maybe kind of a sleeper, but uh, I actually kind of have Aok and Wale penciled in here, partly because I think he's a good player, and there's a ton of usage that was vacated right in front of him. I mean, he's, he's going to have the ball in his hands on a good team with a good post player. And he's going to be making the decisions. And he's a senior. And so I I bumped him up into the second team. So I have, what do I have here? One, two, three, six players on the second team. So I'm cheating. Um, I'll, so if I'm cheating, I might as well cheat some more. And I, I think DeShane Weaver is going to be right there too. His Again, his usage and production is probably going to be off the charts. Um, and then the only one, so then that would mean that I bumped off Marlon Ruffin, who it's nothing really against him. It's, you know, he was a sixth man of the year last year. I think he moves into probably a starting role this year, and we'll see how he does with that. But um, these other guys are probably a little bit more established than him. But, again, certainly understand why they would put him on the second team. Well, and, Zach, as you were talking there, two things popped into my brain. Detlinger, was he first or second team last year? I think second. Right, Greg? Okay. I, I believe so. I believe, I, and I wish I had that all in front of me right now, and I don't. Uh, but he was a he was a young man that exceeded expectations and was was huge for South Dakota State and their success throughout the course of the season. Um, I, I don't know that anybody predicted. Uh, I think that's when you look at South Dakota State. Douglas Wilson was was capable. Everybody knew that. But Dentlinger's rise and then Friedel as a true freshman. What those, both of those two guys brought to the table was incredible. I think those three guys, the thing that really stands out to me about all three of those, they're very smart, they're very unselfish, and they're incredibly, incredibly efficient. I think that's the thing that stands out to me the most is their efficiency. I mean, shooting 62% from the floor. I mean, they only take good shots. 
and all of those guys are very underrated passers too. So, I mean, clearly all well coached as well. Well, and that's what's interesting is you look at the the names on the list. You've got a mix of players that by their numbers alone, such as Townsend, will make mm-hmm. a first or second team. And then mm-hmm. you've got players like Rocky Cruiser who might – he was a top returning scorer for the Bison last year, so could mm-hmm. up his production. But it's hard to say someone like Philippe, Philippe Rebracha would have less numbers just statistically – than Rocky Cruiser. So it's interesting to watch how players get picked. And one of the things I appreciate, because like I said, for someone like me, it's really easy to pick the 10 best um, numbers, top 10 scores in the league and put them first and second team. And, and really people dig a lot deeper. Yeah, I really think, you know, again, kind of like what I was talking about with the preseason poll is, so what are we exactly trying to say with this first team all conference and second team all conference, are we saying, you know, the best players or is it the combination of stats and wins or what, you know, a case could be made for looking at it a number of different ways. And I don't think that there's a wrong way to look at it. So, you know, again, somebody can make the argument on the other side of this and I'd probably have to tip my hat because again, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. There's so many good players in this conference, particularly upperclassmen. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement with you guys, and it is. You never know how people look at it. Is it based on last year's stats or is it based on this year's predictions? And, and I don't know. I, when I looked at it, I just I, I tried to look at it as what did they prove last year and then how do they fit in and how can that production improve based on the teams they're on this year? And, and you know, and literally, you know, my ballot was Wilson at one. Umude at two. I had Townsend at three, to be honest with you. Friedel at four, Rabracha at five, and Acemas at six. And so that was my first team. And then the second team was Cruiser, O'Banner, Pyle, Dentlinger, and, and McKissick out of Kansas City. And so it, it really comes down to, yeah, you don't really look at a team anymore, a, a first-team all-conference team, and go, all right, who are the two best guards? Who are the two best wings? Who are the, who's the best post? You really look at what do they do – for their teams last season? And then what do you predict that they might be able to do for their teams this season? So I, I look at it and I, I, I just, you know, as I'm looking at it right now, I, I go, I wouldn't mind having a team, Wilson and Mude, Townsend, Friedel and Rabracha. I'd take that team and go play any team in the country, to be honest with you. Could um, win some games with that lineup. Yeah, I, I, I think you could. And at the same time, I look at, you know, Acemas at six, but then the, the bottom five are Cruiser, O'Banner, Pyle, Dentlinger and McKissick. Well, those are those. That's four bigs, and McKissick might be getting a little tired handling the ball. But um, I, I do think, and you made a great point, Zach. Last year was that you know it was a league of of who had the best kind of floor general things along those lines. This year, you look at this league, and it's loaded with great bigs with Wilson, Amude, who's so versatile, um, Rabracha, Cruiser who I think is really underrated and continues to improve O'Banner who everybody looks at and goes, I think when you look at O'Banner being on the all league team, everybody looks at, all right, Nezikwesi has gone. It's O'Banner's paint. It's O'Banner's lane. Uh, let him go. And, and you throw a Deshang Weaver out there along with Ace Miss and, and some really good perimeter players. And it allows O'Banner so much freedom to be probably one of the most difficult posts to guard in the league. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm just, 
I, I love our conversation. I love the podcast because I can't wait to see all this stuff play out. Yeah, I'm going to look really foolish when Kevin O'Banner wins Conference Player of the Year and he's on my preseason second team, but, you know. Hey, he was for me, too. He was for me, yeah. too. He's well, Zach, where, where I don't think you will look foolish, Akinwale is a really good name that I did not think about. Easily could see him leading the league in assists this year. And Yeah, yeah that was a bit of a projection on my part, just kind of looking at what was vacated in front of him and just knowing kind of how they play. I mean, I could see him ending up, you know, in that 13 to 14 points per game, uh, six to eight assists per game in area, just knowing what his usage is going to be. And uh, if, if you ask me, that, that that gets him on the second team, I would, I would assume so. Right. It, it, that's a really good observation, by the way, because, you know, let's go back to what you talked about earlier. The number of high-quality perimeter players that are gone from last year who steps into those opportunities? You know, uh, Townsend returns, obviously, at Denver, but who steps in to, you know, uh, Shahid leaving, Tyson Ward leaving, you know, the guys down at Omaha? Who steps into those opportunities and who embraces them and who maximizes what that production might be able to be? So I uh, can't wait to see it all play out. Well, and there's two players on these two lists that I think will maximize their opportunity o'banner has never averaged more than 8.4 shots per game that's that's, that's unbelievable insane. yeah, yeah. I, when i looked i had to look five times to make sure i was looking in two websites to make sure i had the right numbers yeah and then you've got marlon ruffin who 15 of his last 17 games last year scored in double figures including a 30 point game late in the year he feels like one of those guys that um that will jump ahead but that's one of those guys that we're guessing will jump ahead you can't go just off of last year for that yeah so two thoughts on that kevin o'banner i think he should average no less than 18 shots a game he should average probably between 18 to 22 shots per game if he does that he's going to average probably over 20 points per game if he gets 18 shots per game um and then marlon ruffin i you know he's one of the most unique players in this whole conference i mean how many guys you know, when you're coming from high school and you're playing in the Summit League, you're probably the best player that's ever played at your high school or like a top 10 or f certainly when you were playing. And then so to go from that to being effective off the bench is an incredibly rare and extremely valuable skill set. Um, and especially this coming year where the bench is going to be even more important. It wouldn't surprise me. You know, Marlon Rufford, he's, he's probably earned the right to start. I almost wonder if they just let him come off the bench because part of it is, hey, you're bringing a caliber of player like that off the bench playing against the other team's uh, backup players. It's a matchup you like. Maybe that's zigging while everybody's zigging. Yeah, then again, maybe I'm just overthinking it. But, you know, th there's just so many different ways to kind of put this together. Um, you know, and he gives you a lot of options because he's so good off the bench. Do you guys know who originally recruited him? It it was actually uh, Coach Jeter at Milwaukee. He spent oh. a year there, and then uh, I'm almost 100% positive he was had a year at Milwaukee and then left when Coach Jeter was let go. So just another interesting. Interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. It it, it is. I'm going to go back to O'Banner. You know, when you sit there and, and you did the research, Todd, so thank you for that, to, to not over, not average over eight and a half shots a game. Um, 
it's interesting. If he was a one-dimensional player, you could understand that. The guy shoots high 30s from behind the arc. I think he's as good with his back to the basket as anybody in the league, to be honest with you. And and there's some really, really good posts in the league. O'Banner, if he's given some latitude from that standpoint, and I'm not saying that as a criticism of coaching. I mean, coaches understand how to use their players. But I just think with Nezikwesi no longer there, I think the, 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 the usage rate of a banner, we could see that where it's like Coach Mills is saying, we got to make sure he gets at least 15 to 18 shots a game. And as efficient as he is, I think you could see some really big numbers. And that goes back to what you already mentioned, Zach. Yeah, sometimes, you know, teams, you know, again, it's definitely not, like you said, it's not a criticism of coaching or anything like that. Sometimes the pieces just don't quite fit. And I felt like that was just kind of what happened with Royal Roberts last year. I don't know that it's really anything that anybody did wrong. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to take Emmanuel Nezikwesi off the floor, you know. Um, and for whatever reason, the, you know, the sum just wasn't greater than the parts. And But, you know, this year, making him the, the focal point of the offense, I just couldn't be more excited to see him play. I mean, there are some times when he catches and scores in the post, it's so quick, the, the defense's head's spinning, and it looks so easy for him. It's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, what if we did this every single time down and started the offense at that point, you know, and then you surround him with nothing but good shooters. It's like, okay, now the defense is going to have to pick their poison a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's, I, I love these conversations because it just gets me fired up. I can't wait to start watching the games be played. Yeah, I watched an Oakland University scrimmage on ESPN Plus, so that might tell you where I'm at on watching basketball. <laughs> yeah. So one other thing I want to talk to about, and then we'll go on to actually some questions we got from Twitter. So if people want to send questions for future podcasts, by all means, we'll we'll send out a thing and send us some questions. But one other thing I wanted to talk about is breakouts for this year, and I did an article for the website about my all breakout first team. And then I'm going to do another one for second team. Um, And I'll just give you guys the five names I had. And then if you want to give us some additional names, talk about the ones that I had, uh, we'll go from there. Um, I had Caleb Nero, who's uh, a transfer from Weber state to North Dakota. And I should say what my criteria was. They had to have averaged at least less than 10 points per game their last season at the division one level. Um, So Caleb Nero at North Dakota Uh, Marlon Ruffin at Omaha, who I think was just short of 10 points per game. And Sam Greasel at North Dakota State. DeShane Weaver at Oral Roberts. And then Robert Jones at Denver. So those are the five names I, and I did, Zach, like you were talking about, kind of do a team. So a couple of guards, a couple of forwards, and a forward slash center. Yeah. Um, So does Kevin O'Banner technically count? Where, Where was he at last year? Wasn't he at like eight or nine points? No, 13 points a game on eight shots. Was he? On, yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had it written down here. I'm like, boy, that's I, I feel dirty writing him down. But And, um, and eight shots his freshman year and average 12 or 13. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, to, we totally agree with uh, Caleb Nero. You know, he has uh, probably the biggest job or the biggest shoes to replace this year. Um, like I said in the last podcast, I believed Marlon Stewart was a, was the conference player of the year last year. Um and his usage uh, was off the charts. And, and Caleb Nero, uh, he, he, you know, he, I believe he averaged like six and a half points a game as a freshman at Weber State, which yeah. is a good program in a good conference. Uh, he can play. 
uh, you know, some things have transpired between here and there. But the one thing that's for sure is there's nothing but opportunity in front of them. Uh, I know they like them. I know they're going to play them a lot. Um, I don't think that they want to play exactly like last year where, you know, the point guard is so ball dominant. I know Coach Taylor really does believe in a true motion offense. Uh, so the ball may not be in his hands as it, as it was that with Marlon Stewart, but no question about it. I mean, it's like the Red Sea is parting. There's nothing in front of him. And the only thing that's standing between him and a high-level production is really his just ability to put it together. So tremendous opportunity for him there. Um, you know, A.O. Akinwale, I think he kind of falls in there, right? Because he was only at like seven or eight points per game last year, right? Yeah. I believe so. So, yeah, have him on there. Um, DeShane Weaver um he's he's definitely one definitely one and if there was a comeback player of the year award he would probably be the leader in the clubhouse for that i remember watching him as a freshman and you know he doesn't look like a lot of players in the conference i mean he's like a legitimate six eight wing who is not shy to shoot it at all i mean early in the shot clock it'll go up uh and he's a good player i was watching him and i had to like go back and look at what his backstory is um, cause it's, it's almost like, you know, how does a player like that end up here at, at a place like Royal Roberts? And cause he, he looks like a power five player. Um, and you know, much like last year, some knee injuries, I think like that kind of scared some bigger, bigger schools off, but you know, uh, their loss is Royal Roberts gain because now he's going to be in this class with Kevin O'Banner, Max A. Smith, who, who is, uh, you know, he's probably right around that breakout candidate. You know, I'd, I'd probably consider him as already broken out. Um, but Shane Weaver, definitely is going to be the player that uh, he, he's going to play a lot of minutes uh, provided he's healthy. Um, you know, Robert Jones, like you said, really started to come on strong towards the end of last year. Um, Denver really picked it up down the stretch and he was a big part of that talented kid, highly recruited kid out of Minnesota. Usually those highly recruited Minnesota kids don't get past North Dakota state and South Dakota state, but he got all the way down to Denver. I know a lot of people wanted him really nice player. He's going to be right around that double-double. Uh, I think every single night he's going to have plenty of playing time available to him. Um, and then Sam Griesel, and, and I can let Greg talk to him, but you know, he's really one of my favorite players in the league, and it's not always going to sh- show up on the on the stat sheet. But, man, the guy can literally guard one through four. And a guy like that just gives you so much flexibility as a coach. He, he's, he's getting better as an outside shooter. Once he gets a pretty consistent three-point shot down, he's going to be – an extremely indispensable player in this conference. Um, so that's just my two cents on those guys. I, I really like your, your thoughts, Zach. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned a lot of different guys and I go back to Jones. I think Jones uh, out of prior Lake uh, as, you know, as a freshman, what he did, the great thing that he does, I'll go back to what Douglas Wilson does. He brings it every night. I think Jones is going to bring it every night as long as he can keep himself on the floor and, stay out of foul trouble. I think he's going to be an impact player in this league. Uh, and, and he needs to be for Denver to be successful because of the, the abundance of bigs throughout the course of the league. So I think Jones development is going to be key. You talk about the transfer from Weber. One thing you know is he's been coached very well by Randy Ray out of Weber state. And, uh, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Nobody is expecting him to do what Marlon Stewart did. Um, but at the same time, is he a primary decision maker? Is he a primary ball handler? And does he fit with what Paul Sather needs? I don't think they bring him in if he doesn't. So I, I think he has a great opportunity to be one of those breakout players, as you mentioned, Todd. Um, 
some of the other guys. Greasel is is such a a multi-dimensional player on both ends of the floor, and there's just something about him. You know, late in that that one-eight game in the Summit League tournament last year, you know, when when Denver was taking NDSU right to the wire, Greasel has a big-time block late. And uh, the kid gets it. He's in the right position when he's off the ball defensively. Uh, offensively, has the ability to not only finish around the rim, but at the same time uh, set, his, set his teammates up, deliver a timely pass at the right spot, the right time. I, I, I love what Greasel's upside is. I don't know that he'll ever be you know, one of those 20-point guys in the league, but I think he'll be looked at after his career is over as one of those absolutely indispensable guys that every coach would love to have on his team. And so I, I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head, Todd, with a lot of those guys that have the potential to be breakout players. Uh, you talk about the, the kid at Omaha. I'd love him just because he plays at one speed. I mean, he's all over the floor, uh, not afraid of any moment. And uh, I, 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 so I, I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of potential. Oh, oh and by the way, the last one, Deshane Weaver, you talked about him first, Zach. I love, I, I agree with you 100%, both of you guys. This kid, um, with what he can do, his versatility at 6'8", his length, his offensive prowess, and then also his defensive presence, I think he could be um, one of the, the, the true, really impact players in the league this year because I, I'm sure he's hungry after having to sit out a year with that injury. I hope he stays healthy. Sometimes kids end up getting that you know, uh, situation where they continue to deal with with kind of ongoing injuries, and Greasel is one of those. He's he hasn't been able to play a complete season yet, even though he's. I think he's really valuable to what North Dakota State can accomplish. Weaver is similar. I hope both Weaver and and Greasel can stay healthy, uh, because I think they just make the league better, and I certainly think they make their teams better. You know, the thing about just saying Weaver is, uh, you know, his knee injury occurred, I believe, not this last summer, but the summer before. And so towards the end of last year, I think it, I, I think it was a situation where he could have came back. But I mean, obviously, why do you want to blow a year of eligibility for only yep. a couple games? Because he was warming up with the team and working out with the team and looking really good. I mean, to the point where I almost had to come back. So you have to think that he feels pretty good right now. And you know, to try to draw a parallel to what you said earlier, Greg, you know, every coach in the conference would love Matt Pyle on their team, and the same goes for Sam Griesel. I mean, players yeah. like that extremely indispensable it, you know if you make it into the summit league you can score the ball right there's not really a whole lot of players in the conference that can't score not a lot of coaches are really looking for guys that can can score or shoot from the outside so you have to so so guys that don't necessarily fit that profile end up becoming very valuable and you know for defensive purposes you know you have to have guys willing to sort of do the dirty work and take the tough defensive assignments and get the rebounds and do all this other stuff so the good scorers can just sort of do their thing and both Matt Pyle and Sam Grease will really take a lot of pressure off of all their teammates my guess is if you if you pulled their teammates they're probably their favorite players on the team that's great observation go ahead Todd question for the two of you I I keep looking at Sam Griesel and thinking that eases a little bit of the loss of Tyson Ward. And I know they played together last year as well, but I remember all those backdoor baskets that Ward would get and even his growth through his, from his sophomore to senior season. And I see Griesel being able to do a little bit of that 
Um, not to the same level that Ward did, but a lot of those things. Ward was never going to score 20 points per game either, but he just did everything good. Yeah, I think Griezel is about where Ward was defensively, but I think to your point, the 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 career path that Tyson Ward took on the offensive end, I think could be very similar for what Sam Griezel is going to have available to him and and uh, and I I think he has a skill set to get it done. You know, last year, I mean, there's just so many good players that you know, Sam just decided that, you know, hey, I could probably knock this shot down, but why not? Why don't I give it to a guy that has already made 100 or 200 or 300 of these in his career? So um, a, a very good point. I do think it is going to be a very similar career path for them. And he does have to shoot better. That's the biggest thing from outside if he wants to expand his offensive numbers. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and Greg can definitely speak to this more than I can, but I, th- I think the biggest thing with Sam is he just has to be at least a shooter that other teams respect and can't always help off of, because I do know that they have picked on him at times over his career as he's had sort of some ups and downs with his shooting. Um, If he has to keep teams at least honest. Yeah, I I agree with both of you guys. I, I, I don't know that, that Griesel will ever be this, this offensive juggernaut in the summit league. I, I do believe that he will always be a guy who every minute he's on the floor, he makes his team better because of his versatility, because of his unselfishness, because of his willingness to set his teammates up and put them in positions to be successful. And and then his willingness to dig down defensively and guard uh, uh, to your point, Zach, any position on the floor, because last year at times when both, when both of NDSU's bigs, you know, were on the bench in foul trouble, they went with a lineup of Ward, Edie, and Griesel on the front line. You know, basically three six six guys, you know, six five and six six guys. And so they had to guard, you know, uh, posts, get to a front, do whatever. And those are the things that not only Griesel but Tyree Edie are willing to do, just that versatility, guard out of position at times, get to a front when they need to. And that just allows you to have a not only be effective defensively, but then you also become a very difficult team to guard on the other end because you're bringing somebody big away from the basket. All right. Uh, so we're going to wrap up today by going through the Twitter questions. Um, and the first question that we have is from T12 on Twitter. What team could be the dark horse in the conference this year? So, you know, to. Uh, I'm assuming this is, you know, the, the the dark horse to win it, or at least significantly outperform their preseason ranking. That that's kind of the frame that I'm looking through here for this. Um, and so I, I don't know. I struggled with this one. I struggled with this one. Um, I, I I think if you count Oral Roberts as a dark horse, um, I don't know that they're that dark of a horse. <laughs> but you know, you know, certainly if, if Oral Roberts won the conference. I'd be, I would not be shocked. I'd not be shocked. Um, I think Omaha is going to be a really good team. I could see them, especially, you know, maybe not in the tournament, but in the regular season, I could see them winning maybe a lot of games that they aren't supposed to win because they're not going to beat themselves. And in a year where a lot of weird things are going to happen, I would anticipate Omaha as being one of the most um, 
predictable teams because they're led by upperclassmen. They have a lot of guys that have played. And, uh, you know, they, they generally do not beat themselves. That's, that's the rule with Omaha. So they could they could definitely sneak towards the top of, of the regular season. Um, and then, I guess, you know, Western, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, there's another question out there about, you know, does talent win or whatnot? You know, talent can win any single game, right? And I, and I do think Western has that. Uh, if, if, you know, if I was able to follow the situation recruiting wise, um, so they could definitely jump out and surprise some teams this year. Um, but those are just the three that kind of were, were sticking out to me as, as teams with, uh, maybe a little higher ceiling than where they're currently ranked preseason wise. Um, uh, great observations, Zach. I look at a couple things. First of all, I can never put SDSU or NDSU in the dark horse category because because of their performance over the last eight to 10 years in the Summit League. So I, I can't put them in there. I'm going to go to a Western Illinois, as you mentioned. You know, when you look at Coach Jeter, what he's been able to do at, at, at different programs and the talent that he's assembled, and then the unknown factor because nobody really knows what they have. Nobody's played against them, you know, at least this roster. And I also look at Kansas City because of their unknown, that their extensive roster turnover, a lot of guys coming in, lost a lot from last year. McKissick, who is an all-league preseason player, uh, leading that group. Those are the two that probably jump out to me as the, ha- having the potential for being the dark horse. Then I also look at Denver, who also is down in that bottom three. You know, can Coach Billups get this group finally over the hump with Townsend and Jones leading the way? Do they find that third consistent player and that because it's always a tough road trip out to Denver, whatever it might be, um, and, and the environment uh, with limited fans probably won't change a lot for Denver. So I guess I look at those three. Um, USD, who knows? Umude, with one, clearly one of the best players in the league, they've had a ton of roster turnover. And can they find a way to maybe jump up and, and, uh, and overachieve a little bit this year? So that's the way I look at it. I think the way that I was breaking this down and – Greg, you're going to, help, have to help me out with this. You know, so either South Dakota State or North Dakota State has won this conference, what, five or six times in a row? Yeah, I think you're right. I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I just go back to all the days of, of uh, you know, whether it was Lawrence Alexander, um, yeah. you know, SDSU's teams, whatever it was. I mean, those two and teams Dom, went back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically, it seems to be, like North Dakota State and South Dakota State versus the rest of the conference. Um, you know, if you want to talk about putting them in tiers, it's really those two schools and those two programs and then everybody else at this point. And so, you know, they always talk about come tournament time, you know, can can one of these other teams break their stronghold on the conference? And, you know, it's not going to be South Dakota State or North Dakota State giving it away. It's going to have to be one of these other teams just really playing amazing and wrestling it away from them. Um, and this year's probably not going to be any different. Absolutely agree. All right. So next question. And the only thing I'll add to that is, Greg, you had talked about Kansas City. I do wonder, last year they played so many players so many minutes, and I wonder how the back-to-back games will play into maybe a little bit deeper team if they if they are operating the same way they did last year. Great point. That's Coach Allen's style, and and you might be looking at that. I mean, and I think that probably might might lead into one of the other questions we have coming up is, you know, these back-to-back games, how do coaches approach them? 
Um, Coach Donlin, typically that's what he does, and that's certainly what he did last year at Kansas City. That could play to their favor on back-to-back game nights. Yeah, I think the question was something along the lines of, you know, does does the, the game on back-to-back nights de-emphasize coaching and emphasize talent? Um, I, I, I think you're on to something there. Uh, no question talent is going to be um, important, but like Greg said, the depth of talent is going to be important. And I think, you know, there's there's probably not as much game planning going on in the Summit League. Um, it, it's very, or I should say the game plan is very different. It's definitely much more of a matchup game plan than like, oh, we're going to run this type of defense or we're going to oh, run this type of offense. So I think that with the coaching, it's going to come down to um, the combination of players that are played and how many players play. Because you're right, the, the teams that can comfortably and confidently play eight, nine, and ten players, they're going to have a big advantage this year. Huge. You know, like UND last year, they could play, like I said, they had probably like maybe four or five guys that they felt comfortable with, and those guys had to play. And if anything went wrong, they didn't have much of a plan B. This year, not so much. It's probably going to be a little bit different, but the teams that can win multiple ways are really going to have an advantage this year. It wouldn't surprise me to see you know, a coach play a certain lineup more on one night than the other, things like that. So um, coaching will definitely be a big part of it. But as always, players win games, right? So um, definitely a good question. And, and Todd, did you have that as, an, as, as a question as far as, yep, you know, the, yep, the, that was, yeah. So go ahead, Greg, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think Zach hit on a lot of good things. Uh, obviously, first of all, it's always good to have talent. <laughs> There's a coach out there. No substitute that will, for that. Yeah, no there is no substitute for it. Yeah. Um, I look at it. It's going to be interesting because there are coaches that say, you know what? We are who we are. We're going to play how we play and how we play on Friday is going to be the same way, same way we play on Saturday. At the same time, when you're on the road and you're going, all right, some coaches might look at it as, we're going to put everything into that Friday night game. We want to find a way to get that Friday night game on the road. If we can get that win on the road Friday, then we just go see what happens Saturday. Um, it, 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 there's so many variations of preparation when it comes to, you know, that, that Friday, Saturday. And this is so unique because you're playing the same team back-to-back nights. I'm, I'm excited to, to see how it plays out. You know, if you're up, you know, if you're a home coach, and you've got a comfortable lead on Friday night with two minutes to go. Do you, and I mentioned this on an, on an interview just last, last week. Do you, do you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to mess with their mind. I'm going to throw a little two, three zone out there. All, even though we've never played it ever. And then make them be thinking about it all day Saturday. And how much time do they spend working on, against a two, three zone and their walkthrough on Saturday that might take away from their normal preparation that they do night in, night out. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. At the end of the day, I think these coaches know their teams. How do we best prepare them to be successful? It's going to be a unique schedule this year year because of what we're facing. You know, back-to-back nights, same venue, same two teams playing. How do those coaches approach it? And do they want to get, you know, do they want to have a little bit of gamesmanship in there if they can? Um, and do they, do they save something for Saturday regardless of what Friday provides? Um, do they say, you know what, here are some things we're going to do Saturday no matter what, but we're going to play this way on Friday. 
it's going to be an interesting thing to see. Uh, coaches, I think they don't want to caught. They don't want to get caught uh, limiting their team's effectiveness because they're overthinking the situation. And at the same time, will there be some gamesmanship? I would guess so. It'll be interesting to watch it play out. Yeah, and that's a very good point, Greg. Because I think you know the best the best coaches understand that you know in a one bid conference. If we're all being honest here, I mean it's all about peaking in Sioux Falls, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, generally teams focus on themselves and and how do they run their own stuff more than their opponents, generally speaking, especially early in the year, especially the first time through the conference. And now there's really only one time through the conference. So you don't want to focus too much on the game plan and not enough on what what you're doing and being the best version of yourself because you need to get that down before you can really take the next step. You know, you just, it's sort of like a pyramid, you know what I mean? And at the bottom, it's being very solid and sure about yourself in, in your bull, in your base offense and defense, just fundamentally. And so how do, how do these coaches get their teams to progress through these various phases to get to the best version of themselves in Sioux Falls with very limited games, no preseason games, and very limited practice in between all these games. So I don't know. I'm really curious to see how they do it. My guess is that these coaches are really going to have to feel it out as they go. Well, and think about the fact that you might be playing a team in the in the tournament that you haven't played for two months. So they're a completely different version of the team you played two months ago. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to Zach's point. You know, are, are you developing your team? in the most effective manner possible. So you're playing your right. best basketball at the end of February and into March. I, I also think the teams that have the best level of depth and for, for that reason that we maybe haven't even touched on it, well, to extensively at this point, what happens if you're missing three game, three guys on a weekend road trip, you know, do you, you know, are you okay? Uh, do you not have a ton of drop off if three guys, you know, they had a, had a negative test or whatever it might be. So those, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. An absolutely unique year, unique season. The great part about it is I think we're going to have a season, and I can't wait to absolutely. get it going. Yeah, Todd, I'm really excited for your interview with Coach Jeter because, I mean, just think about all the unique questions that we could ask a coach this year, even compared to the years in the past. I mean, normally coaches are really interested. I'm always interested to pick their brains about just development and recruiting and profiling and all that good stuff. But even so much this year, you know, like how are you guys practicing in a manner that if there was a positive test, um, that it sort of isolates it? Or are we just saying, hey, we're going to be all or nothing? You know, things like that. I don't know how much they'd be right. willing to say or how much they could say. But, you know, there's just so much that goes into this that uh, I really think is fascinating. I, I just, uh, and really, hopefully, hopefully, this is a once in a career type of thing. So, but. And that that question was by Mark Went, uh, South Dakota Coyote super fan. Um, just wanted to make sure he was mentioned there. The last question we have is another scheduling question. It's by Sodak Grumpy Old Man on Twitter. What is the justification for all the USD SDSU games being in Brookings? Luck of the draw, plain and simple. It's the yeah. year. It's the year that it is, and people have to understand. Guess what? They're either all going to be in Brookings or they're all going to be in Vermilion. It's just the way it is. It's a 50-50 deal. The conference, and I, I didn't say this enough 
the Summit League Conference has handled this exceptionally well. I give credit to all the coaches for understanding, all the administrations at the universities to say, we have to find a way to do this in the most efficient, cost-effective, and safe way possible. And they did that. But uh, Tom Dupel and his staff at the Summit League, they said, we've got to do it this way. And we understand teams are going to be upset. But at the same time, if USD, if they have to be in Brookings, well, my guess is they're going to get NDSU at home for that weekend, or they're going to get a UND at home. The Dakota schools are all going to get at least one of the other Dakota schools at their place for a weekend. It's a unique year. We all have to step back and say we have to concede some things. We have to understand some things. The most important thing is let's get through this conference season and let's see if we can't get back down to Sioux Falls and have another one of the absolute best mid-major conference tournaments in the country and if that can go off without a hitch it's a win for everybody absolutely yeah yeah Greg just kind of build on your point I think the fact that you know like we mentioned earlier in the podcast but the fact that there's not going to be fans at these games or at least I'm assuming there's not going to be fans as of right now at these games hopefully kind of negates the the point of where these games actually take place you know what I mean they should be able to play these at the Y and they should have a, a relatively similar outcome and uh you know like what you guys were talking about I, I really do think the Summer League did the smartest thing here, which is they tried to get the most amount of games in the least amount of times with the least amount of trips and the least amount of exposure so that they can have something that they can relatively expect is a nice little balance between identifying the best team in the least amount of time with the least amount of exposure. So you're, you're right, Greg. Number one thing is that they get a conference champion that they're relatively comfortable with that that goes and plays in the NCAA tournament. That's the number one thing. They absolutely have to have an NCAA tournament this year, and they absolutely have to identify a conference champion. Agree with you. And I think if, if you ask the best teams, and we'll try to keep this as close to an hour as possible, everybody, the best teams all have always said, we'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime. And that's what we get a chance to watch this season. All right. Well, that will wrap us up for this week's edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.